I'm going to read from the Gospel of John. I'll give you a moment to find it. If you would like to use one of the Bibles, there should be one in front of you under the chair. From John chapter 7, you'll find the Gospel of John about three-quarters of the way through your Bible, the third book of the New Testament, just to the left of the book of Acts. John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm going to use these words this morning to bring us to the Lord's table on a very simple, fundamental understanding of how to eat. How to eat well. And it may seem like a a little bit of of an odd way to approach a text and, and approach the Lord's table, but... It's under the conviction that I have that sometimes we make too many assumptions. We make too many assumptions of uh, that people understand why we do the things that we do. You ever had a moment with your children or with your grandchildren and your family and you realize that there are, are things that your children have seen you do their whole life and you've never once explained it to them? I heard a story of a once of a, of a woman who was cooking a turkey for the first time, and she says, Mom, I put the pan over the turkey as it thawed, just like you do. And the woman said, the mother said, well, yeah, but yeah, we had a cat. You don't have a cat. <laughs> the goal of the Lord's table is not compliance. The goal of the Lord's table is a blessing. And I want you this morning to, to understand the blessing that is there. And I believe that these words that, that Jesus speak, they speak the single most important principle of Christianity. This is the watershed of, of, of Christian truth or of Christian life. Either you understand and you, you know what, what Jesus is talking about or you don't. Either you understand that this is what real Christianity is, is to to have the life of Jesus flowing within us, or we're content just to be religious. I know I sound like a broken record. You can come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor Barry, you only ever say the same thing. You just keep finding different ways of saying the same thing. And I'm okay with that. For those of you that don't know what a record is, talk to me later. They're really cool. (laughs) I'll explain them to you. So my purpose this morning is to draw a connection between these very significant words of Jesus and the Gospel of John about giving us life and to draw a connection between those words and the Lord's table with which we come to eat. My main point is this. If you don't get anything else this morning, this is what I would like you to take home with you. If I lose you, say something you don't understand, 
please hear this, that the Lord's table is an instrument of renewal in the believer's lives. It is ordained by the Lord to sustain us and to give us his life, to renew us in his life. So you ask the question, how do I eat? What is expected of me? And I think it's a very fair question to eat, and a lot of Christians are embarrassed even to ask the question because they feel like they do it all the time, and they think, well, I really, I, I don't even know how to eat. And the answer to that question, how to eat, is that you, you eat with faith. You eat with expectancy. And what should you expect? If there's no real-world material blessing, then Really, there is, it's a false expectancy if there isn't something that we expect to actually walk away from the table with. And what we expect and what we look for in expectation at the table is to be nourished by our Lord, to be given his life within us, for our deadness to be renewed into the very life of the Spirit of God that he gives to us. It's a blessing that the Lord gives, and it's a blessing that we desperately need in our Christian lives. It's a meal of remembrance. But it's not a remembrance like any other. As a young teenager, my parents took me to Hawaii and we stood at the Pearl Harbor Memorial. Probably many of you have been there also. And you stand out in the water. I didn't really know, understand the significance of it at the time, being a, a, a young lad. But now I understand more about it. But this is, this is not that kind of remembrance. Not the kind of remembrance where you think, well, boy, that was really sad. I'm not sure. Not sure what to do about it, but it, it, that's really, really tragic, really, really sad, and there, there are some lessons to be learned here, I'm sure. But this is a remembrance of a death that is vastly unique from any other death. It is not a death like, like any other, because it is a death that uniquely and profoundly secures something for us that no other death has ever been able to or will ever secure for us. It secures us into a covenant relationship with God. The death of our Lord, his body and his blood, represents a covenant that God came to earth to make with sinners. And the meal that we eat is a renewal, a reminder, a refreshment of our understanding that this death is a covenant of life with us. And that's why we eat. That's why the Lord ordained it. That's why he, he gives it to us. That's why it's a privilege and a pleasure to come with joy to the Lord's table. The Spirit has given us given to us by Christ to bring us from our place of death to life. And so we eat with what God gives to us. It's not a potluck. You know, when you invite people to your meal, the, the, the friendly and the, the generous and the considerate thing to do is say, well, can, can I bring something? Right? It's a kind, of a kind of a potluck. Can I, can I bring something? Can I contribute? And if it's a hasty kind of meal where you just got home from the lake and you're throwing something together and friends are coming over, you'll say, yeah, bring something. I'm not fully prepared. Do you have any steak? <laughs> How about a salad? I'd really love pie. Bring it along. But then there are times when you say, no, I am fully prepared. I have anticipated you coming. And I have done everything necessary in order to fulfill all of your appetite. So come, yes, but bring nothing except your appetite. And come expecting to eat. This meal is not a potluck. 
the Lord has provided. We come nothing, with nothing except faith and hope and confidence in the loving kindness of our God. And you say, well, that, that's really humbling. And you say, well, <laughs> of course it is. You're coming into the presence of a holy God. What do you think you're going to bring? We come to receive. It's a meal for sinners. It's a meal for dead people who need to be sustained and kept and nourished and loved. So let me read them again. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's a wonderful promise of Jesus. <clears throat> the streams of, of living water. You know, Jesus, Jesus' understanding of his own life and ministry is that he didn't just come to be another prophet. He came to be the summation of the prophets. He didn't just come to say like other prophets said. They would say, come and drink. Or they would say, go to the Lord and drink. The Lord will satisfy you. These are, 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 are words where Jesus' understanding of himself, that he is the summary, he is the fulfillment of everything that ever, every prophet ever said about what God would do. And he doesn't say, go and drink. He says, come and drink me. He says, I am the water. If you're thirsty, drink me. And this is so significant. So significant because our, our constant default is always to the external. At least mine is. You ever feel like you're driving life with a flat tire? You know, you get in your car and, and you, you're going down the highway and you, you got to hold the steering wheel like this because your car is going in the ditch unless you hold it there. Well, that's what... That's what we're like with religion. Our propensity is to the external. And in order to, 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 to always be looking to God, to, to, to be grasping the promise of Christ, if you thirst, come to me and drink me. This is the, the root, the single most important principle of Christianity. And we live our lives on a steering wheel like this. Or we go in the ditch. And we externalize, think, well, I, I, you know, I, I, everything seems the same on the outside. Everything looks pretty normal. Let me explain how this works. Jesus makes it very plain in this text, the reference to Pentecost, where the Spirit will come. And the reason the Spirit gives life is because the Spirit came and gives us a perpetual knowledge of God in Christ. That's what the table is all about is being nourished and fed on the knowledge of God that is for us there in this covenant that he's made with us. You know, you, you see on the side of a bottle sometimes, and it says, this is concentrate. And it's kind of a, not a warning usually, but it, it, it gives you an idea that, that this, is, this, is, this is thick stuff. And, and the table could have that label on it. This is concentrated. There, there, there is no other place to have a better understanding of anything that God wants us to know about him than at the table. 
Jesus is the summation of all that God ever tried to communicate to his people, whether it be the wanderings in the wilderness, whether it be the dealings with his people in the temple, whatever it might be, the bread and the, and the drink represent something that gives us the most profound view of God that he intends us to have. And so we don't eat it as in our merely natural selves. We, we, we look for God's undertaking with us to, to help us to eat with the help of the Holy Spirit in order to be nourished on, on God himself, that we would see here his love, his holiness, his justice, his mercy, his wisdom, his knowledge, his faithfulness, all of those things. I love the words of, of Ezekiel 47. It's a, it's a, a picture of living water and there are, are so many texts from the Old Testament about water and living water something the prophets talked a lot about I wish I had more time to to read some of them but one of my favorite ones is from Ezekiel chapter 47 where it describes a river a river of life and it flows from the temple and wherever that river of life goes it says that it makes alive it brings to life where it flows everything along its its edge and everything that it touches is is brought from from deadness to life and the source of that river is significant. It's the temple. It is the place of God's dealings with his people. And so also this table represents the place where God deals with his people. It's not that you're saved by eating it, but it, we remember and it represents what saves us, which is the body and blood of our Lord. And that is the place where God deals with his people. And from there, there is a river that flows to us. It should flow to us. Those of us who eat to give us life. Do you understand? Do you thirst? Do you know something of the, of the treadmill of, of religious life without this? Do you despise it enough to, to yearn for this and long for this? I have a grandson. We have the pleasure of having him in our home quite a bit, and my wife has taught him to, to fold his hands like this when we pray. He's one year old. And he folds his hands like this. You know, I, I totally understand those bumper stickers now that said, if grandchildren were so much fun, I would have had them first. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. And it's fun to sit there, and, and he folds his hand, and Grandpa prays. It's cute. But you know, there's something in me that, that wants to go over to him and unfold his hands and say, no, stop that. Don't do that. <laughs> that, that. That's not what we're all about. Nobody's a Christian because they fold their hands and all these, these, these neat little things that we do. That, 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 that's not what it's all about. And there's an obstacle there that he's going to have to overcome that. And Lord willing, we'll talk about it. We'll explain it. We'll say, this is, these are the, the things that, that, that we do and why we do it. But it's not what we're all about. And some kids grow up thinking that's what it's all about. 
It's a tremendous promise that Jesus has, and it's a, it's a necessity for our calling. Secondly, let me make this simple point. It's a necessity for our calling to, to live in this world, in this perverse generation, as the scripture calls it, as children of light. I'm sure that you would echo my words and my awareness of my lack of resources. And Jesus says, out of his heart will flow. <laughs> I've been reading through the book of Isaiah recently, and I found a couple of metaphors that, that very, make very poignant points of human weakness and, and really the Old Testament stories are so profound of, of God's dealings with his people and their, their propensity to unbelief, their propensity to, to idolatry and, and the, the, the buildup that there is in the Old Testament stories of, of, of absolute unbelief and disobedience in, in the light of the most wondrous revelation, all of it looking forward to a Messiah who would come and would undertake for those very people, all that they could not do. That's what the incarnation is all about. One who has come and has undertaken for us so that in our weakness, we can say that there's one who gives us rivers of water that flow out of us. But it's not our river. He earned it for us. He bought it for us with his own body and blood. And these metaphors, I... I'm from the prairies, as I am mindful of all of the time, and I don't know very much about nautical illustrations, but I'm quite proud of myself when I can, can use one. So this is, a, this is a sailing metaphor from Isaiah 37, chapter 3. And it describes a day of distress. The children have come to the... Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong text. Isaiah 33, 23. It says, your cords hang loose. And they cannot hold the mast firm in its place or keep the sail spread out. It, 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 it's a picture of, of the human weakness. You know, just imagine the storm and everything's pulling so hard that I can't even hold on to the ropes. I know where they're all supposed to go. I know what it's all about. And I know what the sail is supposed to do. But it is just completely out of my power. This is the covenant God speaking to his people. Isaiah 37, 3 says, and this is, this is a bit of a disturbing analogy, but it, it's, it's poignant. A day of distress, children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. Oh, what a metaphor. I know what godliness looks like. I, I, I know everything that I'm supposed to do. I, I know that I'm supposed to love people. I know that I'm supposed to forgive people. I know that I'm supposed to be patient. I know that I'm, I'm not supposed to worry. And it all, it all comes up to me, and I'm pregnant with it, but I just can't give birth to it. I don't have the strength. See, the, the, the Christian life isn't that complicated. As Christians, we know that our vocation is to to love as we have been loved and to forgive as we've been forgiven. And yet we eat knowing our weakness, don't we? 
we eat at the table knowing that, that we need a covenant God who undertakes for us in this covenant relationship. It all sounds really good in church when we say things like this, that the last will be first and the first will be last. And I go, yeah, amen, brother, those, those, are, those are good words. We talk about humbling ourselves and, and considering others first. And then we go out into real life and, and we know that th those words are intended for, for real life. But we go out into real life and real life puts, puts a name on this kind of stuff. It, it puts a, a face on this kind of stuff. And they're names and faces of people that annoy us. They're names of, and faces of, of relationships that are, that are traumatic, that are difficult. And, and it's really hard. And we, everything within us just cries out with pride and annoyance. It's really nice to talk in church that we shouldn't worry, that we shouldn't have anxiety. And then real life, boy, you know, I, I, I sat in my bed last night and I, on my Blackberry, I have an app where I subscribe to about 12 or 15 different news outlets and I, I have an app that lets me just read the headlines. So I sat and I read just headlines for about 10 minutes last night. I tell you, I was disturbed. You know, and this is, this is the real life that, that the world puts a stage in front of us that absolutely terrorizes us. And we feel helpless. And we need a river. We need a meal. We need a sustainer. We need a shepherd. It's great to talk about how we should give thanks in all circumstances. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, it, it does sound really good, and, it, and it's, it's, it's exactly what the Bible does call us to. But the circumstances of real life perplex us deeply. We'd be lying if we said they don't. And if we tried to say that the pain didn't cut us right to the core, we need a river. We... We, we get to the point of giving birth and there's no strength. And so we need help. We need nourishment. And this meal is a divine, ordained place of renewal. See, the ideas of love and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and faithfulness and suffering and perseverance for Jesus, they are real-world things. They're not just ideas. They're brought into the real world and all of those ideas have names and faces. And it's the names and faces of sinners, of you and me, of those that he came into this world to love and to save, to show us the love of God, to secure us from the devil, to secure us from death and from final judgment. And we come with nothing, nothing to boast about. But we come to receive freely. And so eat with faith, eat with joy, eat with expectation, eat with a, a, an awareness of the necessity that you receive from God what he intends to nourish you on. Eat for life. Eat well. It is an invisible grace, but it is the only, it's the only path to the demonstration of the visible graces in our lives. There is no other way. You know, I, as a pastor, as all of the pastors, we, we long to have a healthy church. We long for people to, 
to, for this church to be a, a place, I know you do too, that has integrity and its witness and its representation of the gospel in our community. But it can't be managed. It can't be manipulated. We all have to seek the Lord for it. There needs to be a river that flows within us. And be able to say with the Apostle Paul, the life I live in the flesh, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. To know something of what Psalm 1 says, of a tree that puts its, its roots down, like a well-watered tree that bears its fruit in season. What season of life are you in? Nourish yourself on the Lord. And seek to bear the fruit that his life brings in. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, our, as those that are serving to this morning, would you please make your way to the front as I pray? Lord, thank you for, for these words of, of hope and promise from our Lord. Satisfy us, I pray, not, not out of something that, that we bring, but with what you give freely to us. Nourish us, I pray. Not for our glory. Lord, we, we don't come here to get glory for ourselves. We don't come here to show anything of ourselves. We come here for you to show something of yourself to us and to give glory to you. And so, Lord, be the shepherd over this meal, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.